the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. If you are not there, you can look at the screen. Uh, no, just give me the King James at first. Don't worry, I will tell you why I need the Amplified. PRU, I will let you know when I need other versions. For now, put it in the New King James or in the King James and let's read with a more common version. Now, in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, we read till verse 30 thereabouts. So, verse 22. If you are a woman, read verse 22. Woman, continue reading. Woman, continue reading. Men, read verse 25. Continue reading. Continue reading. Continue reading, man. Continue reading verse 29, man. Continue reading verse 30. Everybody read verse 31. Verse 32. Everybody. Verse 33. Everybody. Thank you very much. That was a brilliant region. So I will teach on how to love your spouse. How to love your spouse. Let us quickly pray. Holy Spirit, bring clarity to this conversation. Let every heart understand it. Let your word come with simplicity. So that everyone will know what you are saying and will apply it accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. How to love your spouse. Well, even if you don't have a spouse, it is also a good thing to note and to learn for the day that you will eventually have a spouse. The word spouse here, this note does not necessarily mean somebody you are married to. But in the context of my conversation, it means somebody you are either married to or somebody you plan on marrying someday. Are we clear on that? So this can mean how to love your husband. It can mean how to love your fiance. It could mean how to 
love your wife is coming out to love your fiance. It's all in the equation of how to love your spouse. I said in the first teaching that the concept of love etiquette is very useful because many people simply don't know how to love. And many people have mixed up the love concept or the love um, um, the love principle. They just module up everything together. People do not really know how to love uniquely. Some people love their husbands the way they love their fathers. Some people love their brothers the way they love their friends. And I want you to know that there is a unique way the Bible instructs us to love our spouses or to love our spouse. And uh, that's something that we need to really comprehend thoroughly. Many of you have learned the wrong thing concerning loving a spouse. You have learned something very shameful and disgraceful. You have learned what is called tough love. And you are doing it without any shame. You are doing it as if that's the way, that's the way it is today. If you love him, mash away, mash away. Let him know that you love him. Don't, 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 don't make it obvious. You have to be very wise in this life. Uh, you didn't learn that from the Bible. <laughs> That's not how the Bible teaches it. You learn that from society. You learn that from celebrities. You learn that from many of the demon-possessed people that you follow. You have to begin to brainwash your head again and love a spouse the way the Bible teaches us to love a spouse. Are we together? I want to start from the concept of courtship, which should be taken very seriously. Many Christians often ask the question, what is the difference between courtship and dating? And from a little research, even from Google, you will notice that while dating seems to be a Western concept, the concept of courtship looks more like a Jewish or Christian concept. Basically, dating often involves two people in a romantic relationship without any authority involved. That's the basic way you can define dating. You are seeing somebody, but an authority is not involved. Many people call it boyfriend and girlfriend relationship. I like him, she likes me, we are dating. We go out, we drink shawarma, we eat shawarma rather than drink ice cream. We are dating. It's a cool concept, but you have to investigate. Is it a biblical concept? Because many of the things that we have found popular and found acceptable, if it's not traced to scriptures, we have not done well. We have to, as Christians, examine and say, the thing I'm doing now is it the way the Bible teaches me to do it. So dating is a romantic relationship without any authority being involved. Courtship, however, is a romantic relationship with an authority involved that is towards the purpose of marriage. Many people date without intending to marry. We are just trying to see how things will be. I like her, she likes me. We are dating, we are trying to see how things will be. The intention is not marriage. It's my boyfriend, she's my girlfriend. We are trying to see how things will be. It's a Western civilization. It's not a Christian concept. It's not a 
I mean, it's not a Jewish concept. Of course, when we say a Christian, we have to understand that many of our values and principles are also sourced in Jewish cultures that are still relevant. Because, like I taught you in churches too, you can't really separate Christianity from Judaism in a sense. Many of the beliefs and values of the Christian faith that are not explicitly spelled out in the epistles, you can learn the principles from the books of Moses, from the books of the law, from the books of the prophets. So Jewish culture is also very important to giving a perspective to how the Christian should behave in a way that is acceptable to God. Are we still together? What I'm saying tonight is dating is different from courtship in the sense that in courtship often the goal is towards marriage. That may not be the case in dating. In courtship, an authority is involved. In Jewish courtship, a man does not even approach the lady directly. He approaches the parents or the guardians of the lady. Because, I mean, marriage is not just about a man marrying a woman. A man leaves his father and his mother. A woman leaves her father and her mother and cleave to their spouse. So, you have to respect the history that this lady has mother and father. This man has mother and father. You don't just say, we like each other. Let's code it. We are dating. All of those things are not the, the patterns laid in scriptures. I know that we have become civilized and we have become modern but ultimately, we must trace our roots to the principles of scriptures. Lest we be found to be breaking the very precepts of God's word. What I'm saying here is simple. As a Christian, in all honesty, you have no business dating. You have no business dating. Simply put, you have no business dating. You have no business having a boyfriend you know you cannot marry. But for now, you use an old body... Make it they send you a recharge card. So that on Valentine's Day, you send go get person where you go post. That is not the way the Christian does things. You're not going to marry the lady you say she's your girlfriend. You are sending her a valid message. You are raising her hopes. But you know this one, I cannot marry this one. You are raising her hopes. You are feeding her like a chicken, you will let her slaughter. For goodness sake, a Christian has no business living like that. If you are not going to marry them, you don't get involved. Christians have no business dating. Courtship, and that's how we tell you younger ones in the faith. If you are in a relationship, let an authority be involved because that's the statement that affirms that you are serious. That's the statement that affirms that you, you are not just playing around. We tell young ladies when a young man asks you out, when you say, I agree, I agree, I agree. See your pastor. Let there be an authority involved. Many times we tell you and you think, eh, send a pastor, go marry me. We are trying to protect you, but you don't know. You don't know. Once there is no authority figure involved, it is not something really serious. It is not something really you can bank on. It's not something really you can, you can invest in. It's not something really you can close your eyes and be at rest in. It's a child's play. My boyfriend. It's too She's my girlfriend. It's too What's the meaning of that statement? The intention is not to lead to marriage. You are just buying chocolates for each other and making yourself happy, feeding the butterflies and the crocodiles in your intestines. Listen to me. It's often a waste of time. It's not the recommended way. Are you listening to me? Forget all this working philosophy. Let's get back to how things should be done. 
Paul says, I want you to be done decently and in order. It is not decent. It is not orderly. When two people say they want to marry and there is no authority involved, it's a joke. Are you the one that will wed yourself? Are you going to put, buy a ring and just put it to each other's finger? Is that how wedding ceremonies happen? <laughs> when authority is not involved from the onset, why do you want the authority to be involved at the end? It doesn't make any meaning. It's not reasonable. Let's get back to order, to decency, to principles of scriptures so that all things will be well. Courtship is very important. Don't trivialize it. Don't trivialize it. Let me encourage you as a young man. Let me encourage you as a young lady. You, I told you last week, don't just make a decision rashly. Don't make a careless decision. Don't make a decision that is easily revocable. <laughs> you know, I, I was reading Watchman Nee and uh, it was where I really understood. I don't know why we cannot even find that book. I'm not sure it's in the shelves any longer. I've tried to figure out the title. I cannot even remember. But it was a very interesting book because Watchman Nee is a, an hyper-spiritual person uh, in my own um, Perspective and to many Christians, is is very he has very extreme views about spirituality. One of the things that really humbled me was his perspective towards marriage. And in that book, he, he insisted that, according to the Jewish tradition, when you say you are espoused to a woman, it is as good as being married. Actually, are you listening to me? Yes, follow me, follow me. Let's not be official in this conversation. Let's be very simple, very raw, very open here. To tell a woman, I love you and I promise to marry you is not a it's not a casual statement. It's not a you see, you must not train yourself to make commitments that you don't mean. It's not healthy for you as a Christian who should be guided by principles of faithfulness and faith. And faith is powered by Deliberate, deliberately using words. It's not healthy for you to just say things anyhow. I love you. And the phrase is not with the love of Jesus. It is that I want to marry you. I will marry you. Train yourself to mean it when you say it. If you don't mean it, don't say it yet. Are you following me? Don't say it yet. There are many ladies today who are heartbroken, shattered, who have given up on Christianity even, although they are very weak. If the reason why you give up on Christianity is because your boyfriend jilted you. Uh, you know, try. But ultimately, the point is that many men have brought women to very difficult positions. Because men give, a man gives a promise, does not understand the weight of a marital promise, and then he walks out of it without any sense of responsibility. In the days of scripture, in the days of the old covenant, if a man is betrothed to a woman or a woman is espoused to a man and they have not yet married. Are you listening to me? Yeah. It is so serious that if the man changes his mind, if the man changes his mind, there are certain public humiliation that follows. It's not just about I'm not marrying you. You can go your separate way. It is a very important matter because to enter the relationship itself, you need the permission of the authorities. The fathers and the elders of the, at the gates will have to sign and approve of it and testify of it. So you cannot just walk out just like that as if there's nothing at stake. But these days I've noticed that there's a looseness about the concept of courtship. There's, there's looseness. You know, like, if I enter and you know work, I go wrong, come out. 
That's not the approach that we should, we should be encouraging. I was talking about watch money, and in that book he was saying that a man must be so careful before he commits himself such that even if he commits himself, and this was a very radical statement, he says even if he commits himself to an unbeliever, I'll tell you what I think about that statement and I'll try and rephrase it, but this is what he said. If he commits himself to an unbeliever, he must, as it were, maintain that statement even after, if he said that while he's a Christian and he commits himself to an unbeliever. The fact that the lady is not a Christian does not now permit him to just break the statement. He must make, because he's a Christian, he knows the values of words, he knows the values of a promise. So, ah, well, I asked her out, and then later I thought about it that she's not saved, so I said I'm not doing it again. It's not that, it's not that, uh, because the unbeliever has learned that a Christian is a man of his word. Uh, are you listening to me? She put her hope in that, that this man is a man, in this, their Christianity, they don't joke. When they say they will marry, they mean it. Then you now come and say, well, and I thought about it and said I'm no more doing it again. <laughs> You are ashamed to the integrity of the faith. So, before you say anything, be careful. Know what you are saying. Know what you are getting involved in. I will tell you that if you are going to get involved in what the marital, the person should be saved. And if you were stupid when you made the decision by asking out somebody who is not saved, you should repent. And I will tell you in all honesty, it is better to take the shame of saying, ah, I did not make the decision in good reasoning. Now that my eyes are clear, I want to break out and pull out. You should take the shame, yes, of be, being called somebody is not reliable, but it is better for you safer like that. Are you listening to me? Because the application of this table is not to now say, eh, I gave my word that I will marry her. I discovered she said, Mommy, what happened? I must keep my word. That's not how to apply this thing. I'm only saying, before you give your word, know what you are doing. Because once you give your word, there is already a, your reputation is at stake. And you must be true to the integrity of the believer's identity. So, the Bible does not treat courtship with kid gloves. Joseph and Mary were not married. They were not married at the time when their story was being told. As it were. They were just espoused. But it was a big deal. It was so big, so big a deal that God had to communicate to Joseph what he wanted to do with Mary. Are you listening to me? God respected the authority of Joseph. This is the person she's supposed to. So what I want to do now, I have to tell the man. <laughs> I have to tell the man. I, said, well, I have to take this permission. I said, well, I have to assure him that all is well. I'm involved. The Bible does not treat courtship with lenity. You see Christians treating courtship as this. I just did boyfriend and girlfriend. You are not courting. <laughs> And if I'm not cutting, you're wrong. You're wrong. So, my point is, let us start this conversation from courtship. Most of us here are not married. Let us really learn how to love in courtship. But please note the first things I've said. If the relationship is not designed to end up in marriage, stop playing. Tell your neighbor, stop playing. Stop playing. All those It's not healthy. Stop playing. Let's know what we are doing and get things right from the start. I want to move on to a very sensitive and probably interesting 
emphasis in this matter of Christian courtship, which is the concept or the subject of sex in courtship. We have to address this matter because we are talking about how to love your spouse. And many of the sexual activities that happen even amongst believers that are not supposed to happen because they are still in courtship is often done with the I love you, he loves me excuse. So we have to, it's still part of this conversation and we have to really straighten this out and iron it out. The concept of sex, you know, many people have assumed that uh, once you are born again, once you have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to talk about this matter anymore. Let's not talk about it. It breeds sin consciousness. But no, we have to talk about it because we have seen consistently in contemporary times and even in history that just because somebody has Holy Spirit does not mean he is well instructed in sexual purity just because somebody has Holy Spirit does not mean he's well trained in the matters of sexuality so we must address it once again because many people do it on the basis or with the excuse of I love him he loves me we are going to marry Otishio we are going pick date Otisetu we are pick color of the day Otishio so that's why we are saying how to love your spouse. Because somebody can use love as an excuse to do anyhow. So we must teach you. Are we still together? What I want to start with is that one of the major causes of breakups in marital relationships or Christian courtship is sex before marriage. It's perhaps, I was reading a father figure, Reverend Austin, and I was saying that it's perhaps the greatest cause of marital breakups sex before marriage. And I will explain to you why and how it happens. And it's sad that many relationships that could have worked well, could have you know, been nurtured into a marital relationship, was truncated or aborted because of this so-called love expression of sex. Even if it does not eventually break the relationship, often it's, it builds a poor foundation for the marriage eventually. Such that two people can be having sex and they may eventually marry, but the foundation is wretched. And I will show you how all of these things apply. Now let me state categorically that giving or receiving sex to anyone before marriage is not a love expression. Everybody say, not a love expression. Sex before marriage is not a love expression. And I have proofs for that. Let us see the practical applications of love in First Corinthians chapter 13, according to the man Apostle Paul. Now, I want you to see how it speaks in verse 4 to verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love suffers long. Everybody says suffers long. Say it louder. Say it louder. Say it louder. I love you. I can't wait. Your body they do me gish gish. 
it's, it's not love. Once the person says, I can't wait, it's not The person has left his fear of love. Are you listening to me? Okay, give me this in another version. Just we can relate with suffers long. It is suffering for a man to have erections and to endure and say, I'm not going to use the erection. It's suffering. And it is a, it's, a, it's an act of love. If a man has it because I'm having an erection, you must give me my meat to eat now. I cannot wait for marriage. <laughs> give me the meat. <laughs> it's no more love, you know. He was, I, I, you know, this thing was paining him. <laughs> love suffers. I suffer for seven years, amen. I'm not preaching what I don't practice. I suffered in that sense. Everybody say, I suffered. Everybody say, Pastor suffered. <laughs> I can't find girl as babe. My babe, no, so this suffering is real. I suffered. It's a real suffering. It's not a make do, it's not an imagination. I'm not telling something in my imagination, in my mind. You get me, you suffer long. Because you love. What was it? I love you. That's why I cannot wait. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what love is? Are, are you following? So in the NLT, it says that it is patient. The word suffer long is translated as patient. The haste to say, "Give it to me now. Give it to me now," because I love you. It's not love. That's not the language of love. That's not the how love expresses itself. Love, if it is love, it is patient. Are you listening to me? Go back to the King James and let's continue the reading. I was just, this is just the starting point. There are many other things I want to bring out here. Go back to the King James, please, and let's continue the reading. Love is kind. <laughs> and, uh, this matter of being kind. Anyway, let's continue reading. I'll come back to kind. Love does not envy, love does not pride itself, it's not problem. Verse 5. Love does not behave rudely. Amen. Does not seek its own. Amen. If I don't do it now, if I don't do it now, you are seeking your own. Does not seek its own. Does not seek its own. Does not, if it is love, it does not seek its own pleasure. It does not seek its own lust. It does not seek its own satisfaction. I tell people that I counsel even maritally, I say, even in the marriage bed, you are not supposed to approach the marriage bed seeking your own satisfaction. That's not how the marriage sex is supposed to happen. You seek the other person's satisfaction, the other person seeks the other person's satisfaction. That's how mutual satisfaction happens. When, you see, that's why we have many rape, rapists who are married. They are married, but they are raping their wives. Because they, they have not learned it from courtship that love does not seek its own once you begin to seek your own, it's not, you can say, ah, it's because I love you. No, you don't love me. If you love me, you will not seek your own. It's not provoked. Think no evil. Everybody says, think no evil. Now, is fornication good or evil? Evil new. Abi Egba. Say Egba, Abi Egba. I can start preaching on another one now on that one. If you don't, I will prove you from scripture. But I will still marry her. The definition of evil must be understood as what God does not approve of. Listen to me. And when we say it is evil, it is not evil just because of its effect on God. 
If he fornicates, does he, does he reduce the power of God? Does he reduce the government of God? It is evil because of the impact on humanity. So when God said this thing is evil, when God told Eve and Adam, this tree, it is not good for you to eat it. If you eat it, you will die. Then Satan came and twisted and said, God does not want you to be like him. God is jealous of you. If you eat it, you will be wise. The impact eventually is not going to be felt on God. It is you. So the day the man ate it, and the woman ate it, they died. God did not die. They died. <laughs> they died. So, when we say, when God says, it is evil, when say, but it is sweet now. It is sweet, but now evil sweet. Or now sweet evil. So now God does not want us to enjoy ourselves. No. God does not see things from a temporal perspective. He sees things from an eternal perspective. If a poison is sweet and you will enjoy it for seven minutes but eventually die, God will say, this thing is evil. You, because you are a natural man, you will say, ah, but I will be happy if I do it. Does God, is God against my happiness? God knows that this thing, it is sweet poison. It will eventually kill you. So when we say evil, let's define it well. But clearly, love thinks no evil. And in the context of thinks no evil, I want to explain that we are not saying that sexual craving for your spouse is evil. That's not what we are saying. I will thoroughly explain that soon. But to now be intentional. Are you listening to me? Be deliberate. Be unwavering. Be committed to thinking and executing the evil. It is evil. It is evil. Verse 6, please. Does not rejoice in iniquity. So once again, we agree that the sin of fornication is iniquity. And we are saying that if it is love, it will not rejoice in iniquity. And the phrase rejoice is that it will not take pleasure in iniquity. It will not get happiness and derive happiness from iniquity if it is love. Once it is possible to derive pleasure and happiness from iniquity, it is no longer love. No matter how we call it. And we said in the first teaching, that homosexuals claim to love each other. People who sleep with animals claim it is love. So, when we say love, let's really get back to scripture to define the concept. Once is a kind of love that rejoices in iniquity, derives pleasure of iniquity, we can say it is not love. Are we clear on that? So, I was just explaining that. Uh, sex before marriage is not healthy it is not good it is not approved and in fact it is not a love expression now one of the reasons it is not a love expression is because we read that love is kind is that not so now let's be honest if sex before marriage destroys the fabrics of the foundation of marriage it would simply be reasonable to come to a conclusion that those who involve in sex before marriage are not kind. Why? They are destroying the person they are sleeping with. They are destroying the foundation of the marriage they are open to build. They are not kind people. They are not kind people. Do you understand my one plus one? If we say love is kind, it means that everything done out of love is a, an, an expression of kindness. If fornication evokes repercussions that are not good, that are not healthy, that are not 
useful. And somebody is now engaging in it. That is not an expression of kindness. It's not an expression of love. Because if you are kind, you will not want anything evil to happen to me. You want to protect me. You want to secure me. And if you are kind to my marriage, you also want to secure my marriage. You will not want anything evil to happen to my marriage. That's why we can conclude that sex before marriage is not... Is, no matter how you... People can say, hey, I'm in love. That's why I love him. I love her. Well, there's a way Paul says it in First Corinthians chapter 7. Let's read that one. I like how the Bible addresses all these things. I like it. I like it. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse... Give me a few seconds here, please. Where are you? It is better to marry than to born. That's what I'm looking for. Nine. All right. Verse eight. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. It is better to marry than to born. Now put that in another version. I want to see the word. But now, you see the word born is born with passion. Put it in another version. Okay. But if they have not self-control, restraints of their passions, they should marry. Please note that Paul does not recommend that when two people are desiring themselves sexually, they should break up. Are you listening to me? What do you say they should do? They should what? But you want to have a job before you marry. That's the problem. You want to finish school. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the wahala now. I'm still in woman. I cannot marry. <laughs> but what point I recommend is if you cannot control and you see this kind of statement actually you must interpret it well. Are you listening to me? Imagine I say to you, now let's a very particular example. If I say, if I say, um, if you feel like slapping me, I say, eh, if you cannot control yourself, slap me now. What am I really saying? No. What am I? If I say, if you say, Pastor, I feel like slapping you, and I say, if you cannot control yourself, slap me now. What am I really? What do you think I'm really saying? Control yourself. That's what I'm really saying. I'm not saying you slap me. <laughs> Are you following me? What Paul was saying here is not. Let's not marry The Bible says, if I cannot control myself, I should marry. I'm, I want to marry. Paul is saying, you can control yourself, John. That's what Paul is really saying. Are you following me here? <laughs> let, let me go back to my notes here. We are talking about that love expressions must be kind, must not rejoice in evil. Sex before marriage does great damage to the foundation of the marriage. How does this happen? One of the things sex before marriage does is that it produces a lack of trust. It amplifies suspicion. If you are courting somebody and you are engaged in sexual activity, in your know of knowers, 
you would often be suspicious or you will not be at rest if the person perhaps is not with you. The woman's psychology is a very complex system. And although we may claim to trust people, the truth is that trust can be broken. When somebody says, Ah, my baby, you know I love your breast. I cannot do without it. And the person is saying, I cannot do without your breast. But you know you are not the only one that has breast. Amen. So you start thinking, if another person will get breast, come, come. This guy could be stunned because he clearly is showing a lack of self-control towards this issue. But if a man consistently, or a woman consistently affirms her devotion to God and to purity, you know that the reason why she's devoted to you is not because of you. The reason why it's devoted to you is not because of you. It's because of God. And that's the reason that it's constant. Is that not so? You may not always be around. You may travel for three months on a job. You may change location because of your work. You may become a missionary to Uganda. <laughs> I went to one missionary activity in my NYC days. The women there don't wear clothes. They came to welcome us like this. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> when people talk about sex, I say, it's because I love you. It's because the person loves my body. <laughs> You're not the only one who has a monopoly on your body or on bodies. Huh? What are you talking about? So in that, at that point, it is not about um, I'm faithful to him. I will never teach him. It's not that issue. If you have not shown restraint before, what's the guarantee that you show restraint now? So this is how the framework of my which is supposed to be trust a vouching for integrity is broken and the suspicion enters. That's why many people are so insecure. I'll talk about insecurity later. Because they know what they have been doing with that person. So they cannot trust the person. Say, ah, that guy. Yeah, he liked that thing. Anybody will give him like this is go grief for them. Because you know what you've been doing with the person. You know. <laughs> you know. So it breaks the foundation of trust that is very... I mean, how can you be in a marriage and you're always suspicious? You see women checking their husband's phone? How, 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 what is that? What kind of hypertension setup is that? For what? But it's because many times, in courtship, they knew that they were not faithful to God. They knew. Say, no, it's only him I'm doing this with. <laughs> it is still going to break your trust. You don't break your trust. Are you following me? In giving yourself to sex before marriage, also you 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 become you become you remain a child in the matters of self-control. So there are some maturities you are supposed to attain to by the discipline of self-control that you don't maximize because you are always exercising your senses in those directions. I didn't say this last week. I was supposed to say it. I was going to tell our ladies to note the red flag of a man who is not self-controlled. Any man who cannot control his appetite, sleep appetite, sexual appetite, food appetite, red flag. Red flag. Very dangerous thing. You have to insist that he works on it. 
But there are certain growths that happens in self-control. Now, God designed that, or let me not say God, but courtship is designed to grow you up in matters of self-control. Just like a baby. Are you listening to me? A baby is born. He is not not learned in the art of controlling his bowels. So when he feels like pain, he pees. Is that not so? What do you do to that baby? You wear diapers, is that not so? But later you begin to do potty training. As he grows older, you begin to do potty training. So he now learns to control his bowels. When he wants to pee, he will say, Mommy, I want to pee. And he now goes to a place where he should pee. Because he's becoming an adult. Now, you cheat yourself of that growth when in courtship you succumb to the pressure of premarital sex. You cheat yourself of that kind of growth. And you will need that, you will need that self-control. And even in marriage, you will need it. Because marriage does not provide absolute security for sexual provision. It doesn't. I can be honey and I am in Abuja while my wife is in Ubumosho. If I have not been trained in self-control, what will I not do? And I say, I love my wife, but uh, the way they do me now, but I love my wife, but the way they do me now. Ah, are you a baby? And the many people are babies because that period of coaching was supposed to train themselves in self-control. They did it. Are you listening to me? It is in the period of courtship that you can train yourself in self-control because most times, if you are not cutting, sexual energies are probably limited. You know, when you are cooking, when you have not cooked, there's a temptation that is present. You may be imagining the food. You have not cooked yet. Are you following me? When you now put the food on fire and the aroma is coming out, that is a different level of, the, of temptation. If you are supposed to break by six and you start cooking by three, and by four, the aroma and the fragrance of the food is coming. It's different from when you are not supposed to cooking at all. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah. So in courtship, courtship is the best time to exercise that self-control moment. Because there's somebody you are looking forward to eventually having in the marital bed. But you still have to discipline yourself and say, not now, not yet, not now. That's the best time. It's not when you are, there's nobody. That's not the best time to really grow in self-control. So this is how this issue of premarital sex has wrecked many courtships, wrecked many lives. Your spiritual growth will be affected. There is no joy in hearing a someone like this, for instance, and feeling guilty because of what happened yesterday. And you can't even listen. You're just... Oh, oh Father, have mercy. What, what could, how do, you, do, you, do you enjoy yourself like that? Yeah, Father, have mercy. Every day. Father should be having mercy every day. You can't hear anything again. Everything you say, oh, God, yes, I know me. What? How does that? How does that advance your progress in God? You will be, you will be, you will be stunted growth. You can, you will be distracted. Condemnation will distract you. Guilt will distract you. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So you now, nobody who really loves you wants you to grow spiritually. Will be unkind to you to make your life like that, to leave your mind messed up like that. If it's really a lover, if it's kind to you. He, does, he won't want you to go through all of that distraction of guilt and condemnation. He won't want you to go through all of that. He won't. Love is kind. Are you following me tonight? Alright, alright, alright. 
let it be clear the motivation for sexual purity, even in courtship, is not avoiding pregnancy. Getting pregnant is not a sin. Amen. There's no sin in pregnancy. The sin is fornication. And many, I've always said that many people are weak in the face of temptation because of the availability of contraceptives. Because the motivation is, I don't want to be pregnant. You know, many times, the reason why your mother is not supporting your courtship is that she doesn't want you to loan you. So I want loan you, call. There are mothers who have now called their daughters and said, Come, if you want to do it, use this one. Because for, for many parents, that's the shame that they are afraid of. My daughter got to Berlin and she never married. It's a shame for the average African mother. Hey! It's worse than hellfire. Yeah, I'm not saying. You made my enemies to rejoice. <laughs> and the stigma that comes with all of those things matter. But that should not be your motivation. That should not be the real motivation. I'm not saying that getting pregnant outside marriage is wrong. Or rather, is right. I'm not saying that. I'm only saying the pregnancy itself is not, I mean, life is, not, is something to rejoice about. And usually, when, if somebody, something happens to somebody, I always try to tell them, okay. We have a child now. This is life. We have to understand God gives life. Okay, God secures life. God is the one who permits life to be birth. So we cannot now stay in guilt and not transfer the spirit of rejection on this child. I was just telling my wife as I was coming. One of the former church member here, the lady was in church and she just fell down, boom! And I knew that. I was preaching, she just went and I knew that it was not an ordinary fall. So I told them, take her to the, to the office and let her say what is wrong with her. That's what I told the usher, say, let her say what is wrong with her. So the minister came to give me the report, said, ah, she's pregnant. I said, okay, that's, that's thank God, thank God. She was like, ah, I'm not saying, hey, abomination in the house of God. She's pregnant, okay. I called the woman, spoke to her, I told her, I know you feel bad already. I know you feel bad, so I'm not going to flog you again. But don't transfer the spirit of rejection to this child. She told me, Pastor, every time I fornicate, I always tell God, if I ever get pregnant, let the child die. Because all she was trying to do is to avoid pregnancy. He said, that cannot be your motivation. Because why? She felt that the sin was the pregnancy. Pregnancy is not a sin. <laughs> Amen. So I said the child will live. I said the child will not die. I said that's what you have said, but this child will not die. I override the words. I reverse the curse. This child will live. I live well. She will be, be born well. But I've discovered that many times, many people don't get what the emphasis should be. Sexual purity, you cannot power it based on, I don't want to get pregnant. That's not the, that's not the issue. Are you clear on that? Let me move on to other matters because this topic is quite a whole lot. Please, before I conclude on sexuality and sex in courtship, let me say this point. Sexual attraction, sexual cravings, sexual drives are normal. Amen. If you have a spouse, you look forward to marrying 
a fiance or a fiancé who has sexual attraction for you. It's not demon, please. It's not Satan. It is not even sinful. It's a normal appetite, a normal craving. We must not demonize sexual cravings, especially when it is in the bracket of courtship. Now, there are sexual appetites you must fight off, you must resist. Listen to me. Are you still listening to me? There are sexual appetites you should reject completely. There are sexual appetites you should control. And then there are sexual appetites you should use. When you are married, you use your sexual appetite. When you are in courtship, you control your sexual appetite. You keep it under. When you are having sexual attraction for somebody you don't have a marital commitment to, you reject and resist and quench the appetite. Do you understand what I'm teaching tonight? If I have a sexual appetite for a sister Bingpe, maybe she's very beautiful and she's even eyeing me, so she sends me nude pictures. Now, the initial reaction of my body towards her nude pictures might be that of attraction. And at that point, I have not gone out of the line. But once I do not begin to resist, I say, this is not my wife. Sometimes she's not my wife. Or somebody I intend to marry. I have no business at being attractive to her sexually, no matter how beautiful she is. And I begin to fight. Now that's why it now becomes lost. L-U-S-T. I begin to fight it and resist it. I say, no. Then I have stepped out of line. Are we getting it now? You are not out of line if you have a craving to the person you are cutting. You are not out of line. But you keep it under. You keep it under. You keep it under. Please. I am not going, and I am not teaching sexual craving suppression so that people now marry and they hate sex. That has ruined marriages too. And I was supposed to teach it, but most of you, you choose that it's not your business. If I'm teaching how to love a spouse, I'm supposed to teach how to love a spouse, even in things like marital bed, but it's not your business. Amen? When you get there, I'll teach you. For most of you, it's not your business. So hear the other one. But it's possible to marry and hate sex and be paranoid about sexuality. It's not healthy. Some people cannot love their spouse as they ought to, as the Bible teaches, because they hate sex. And that's a problem too. Let us progress, because I have several teachings on things like this, especially on the media. I don't have to elongate this matter here. Let me go to a few other more urgent conversations. How to love a spouse. Let's deal with the issue of insecurity, which is also a very important subject. Insecurity in courtship. We're still in courtship. I'm not in that marriage yet. Amen. Are we still together? Come on. Am I boring? Insecurity happens in courtship. And despite the so-called faithfulness that we are supposed to uphold and embody, many people are cutting, but you know, sure, you know, sure. Now, please, you cannot really love your spouse with a great measure of insecurity in the relationship. You cannot. It's not possible. 
anybody who comes to meet me and asks me their opinion or asks me their blessings or asks me for, their, for, for my blessings before they enter country, one of the things I tell them is that, are you sure this is what you want? Are, is it going to lead to marriage? And I tell them to close shop. Everybody say close shop. They are no more scouting. They are no more saying, if, if I see a better one, close shop, you put seven padlock there. Courtship is that sacred. Because that's the only way you are going to invest and commit fully into the relationship. As long as you are still sat here, say, if I see another one, we high pass. I go come out to you. cannot love. I told the workers this on Sunday. Once there's a relationship that is insecure because somebody is on the edge of their seat, they have not set you. You cannot love when you're not at rest. Amen. You know, this is a concept which is even concerning salvation. You can't love God when you are not at rest concerning salvation. You are afraid that you may still go to hell. You, can, you may still go to hell. You are, you are shaking and you say, hey, I hope that one day that I will not just wake up. Rapture will have happened. All your energy will be directed at protecting yourself instead of loving your partner. All your energy will be directed at securing yourself instead of loving your partner. That's why we say you must understand the doctrine of salvation when you come into it. That's why you can really love God. You can't love a God you are not even sure will not change his mind about you. You can't love that kind of a God. You can't. You are not sure if he comes in the night. He may leave you alone and pick your roommate. You can't love that kind of a God. When you hear after, you say, May I make it on the last day? You cannot, you will be too distracted to love God. Like I'm telling you. The apostles were crazy lovers of just so that they laid down their lives. They were martyrs. What do you think made them martyrs? They were certain, they were at rest. Now Jesus, ah, I can die for him. He will pick me up. There will be resurrection morning. They were certain. There was no uncertainty about their work. So once you bring insecurity into a marital relationship, you are cutting him, he's cutting you. But, mm, well, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, you cannot really love like that. I told my wife, I told her in the most explicit forms. I said, See, if this relationship break, now you go break her more. Say me, I go leave you. <laughs> in no fear. You can take my words to the market. For seven years, I didn't have to repeat myself. Because when I said it once, she knew I meant it. In fact, she was afraid. What kind of a man is this? What kind of a, what kind of an eternal lover is this? And I don't that's the way I am. If I love, I love to the, because that's how I learned it in God. And so I said, if the relationship break, now you go break her. If you divorce, now you go divorce. But say me go break, me I go divorce. Forget about it. You can't ask me on it. You don't have to check up on me. Do you still love me? <laughs> okay. Well, see, focus on other matters. Focus on your career. To be asking whether I still love you, it's a, it's a waste of energy. Now, if your relationship is not there yet, you cannot really love well. Imagine a lady now praying every morning, God, this BJ that says he likes me, keep, keep his heart to God. Make it no good. Make another girl no catcher. Make another girl no catcher. But by him, a protecting heart. Do you, do you think that she will have the energies to love me the way she ought to? She won't. She'll be too distracted. I know that many ladies, 
they never go public on their relationship until this thing comes. I said, yes. You have been cutting for four years. What were you saying before? <laughs> we are a bunch of comedians in this generation. <laughs> What were you saying? And it's because of the insecurity. Until the ring show. <laughs> the one that used to now pay me is that uh, because they now put the ring, they now wear skimpy clothes and man will now be pressing ways. That's what you press. Because you said yes. Or denier. Or denier. As well, fools. Because you have said yes, now, now for photo shoot, that, that will be like this. Are you listening to me? <laughs> I said, I was going to say, Ode again. I reject that demon of Ode. Go, go, go. But if you are behaving like an Ode, I will tell you. you. You said yes, so you should be pressing your buttocks for photo shoots to advertise it. She not dress inside, she dress inside spaghetti without bra. And because you are collecting proposal. What is this nonsense? Because of love. That's not how to love, please. That's, that's, that's not how to love. Let's know what we are doing. We are Christians now, amen? amen. Christians now, what is it? Show a picture when you kissed him 14 times. I said yes. You said yes. <laughs> From some people's proposal pictures, you know that for every duty for the of your happening that relationship, you know. The, the way the professional way they are going kissing in the river. Bro, have you been doing it before? I don't the way the thing was flowing with grace. <laughs> when I kissed my wife the first time in the court, I did not even know I was supposed to close my eyes. People were saying, PJ was opening eye. I didn't understand. I said, okay, you, okay, you submit kiss, Abi. How are you going to say they close eye when they kiss? Oh, my eye is kiss. Hey, man. Love of this for me, I'm a nice person now. You will be a novice once. People make it look like you're a novice forever. I'm married now. I'm a pro. Everybody say pro. Oh. Ah, Pascal. Look at it. So insecurity. One of the ways you can love your spouse, especially in courtship, is to remove every element of insecurity in the relationship, and this may never eventually be absolutely removed until marriage, but you can do your best. You can do your best. If you are in a courtship, you must learn the power of assuring words. That's how to love your spouse, to love your fiancé, to love your fiancé. They may not ask for it, but you can give it. You can say it. Once you notice they are feeling insecure, you can say it. I will marry you. I love you. I love you all of my heart. I've not changed my mind. I won't change my mind. I still feel the same way I feel about you. We've had our issues. We've had quarrels. But I'm still here for you. Through this difficult time, we will overcome it. Assuring words to quench the insecurity is a strong way to love a spouse in courtship. 
But there are a few other matters that are probably more important that I should mention. Some people are in a situation like Abraham and Sarah, or a situation where Abraham was with Sarah. There was a woman who Sarah had given to Abraham to have a child through her. And eventually, Sarah felt threatened. She felt her place in the relationship was no longer secure. Are you listening to me? And so she told the husband, who was her lord, I don't want this woman again in my house. Let her go. Abraham went to God and said, God, this is my servant. She has even given me a child. Now my wife is saying that she doesn't want this woman around our house. Abraham said, God told Abraham, obey your wife. Go and obey your wife. You see, eh, insecurity is a big deal and you must treat it decisively. Some of the things that make your spouse insecure may not be things you want to let go of. But if you truly love them, you should let go. Yes. Some of you are guys. You just naturally have plenty of girlfriends. But you have one fiancé. But ladies just like you. You know, you are the regular guy. Everybody just, you, know, you don't have any boyfriend. A boy, you don't, you don't have any boyfriend. All your friends are ladies. All my ladies, all my ladies, all my ladies. And then your fiancé, you go, with your brother, too good. What is this what that you are doing? Yeah, my heart is not at rest. You say, oh, no, nothing's happening, no. It's you, I will marry you. I don't do anything with them, they're not my friends. So. Brother Chukudi, my heart is not at rest. Now, you will have to draw the line. I said, because you want your woman's heart to be at rest, reduce the conversation with this one. Reduce the fellowship with this one. Reduce the bonding with this one. It is part of your love expression. It's part of loving your spouse, especially in coaching. Are you following me? There are people who are excessively insecure. They are always afraid that their man will leave them. Afraid that their woman will leave them. And I'm not talking about that, but if somebody has a legitimate reason to be worried, you must begin to say, okay, what can I do to ease the fears? To assure. God knows that we sometimes are afraid some of the things we are talking about. Afraid of losing your salvation. Afraid of going to hell. What he does is to give us what is called the assurance by the witness of the spirit. The spirit bears witness with your spirit. And, your and that witness is constant. It is only when you are not listening that the witness is not loud. It's there. It's there. It's always there. A permanent affirmation that you cannot be lost. I'm in you. If we are going to go to hell, we are going to go together. I'm inside you. So, God does not overlook our fears or downplay our fears. He fixes the fears. In love, when there is somebody complaining about something they are afraid of or something that makes them insecure, as a lover, you are supposed to attend to it. Don't say, ah, you do the fear, John. No. Attend to it. Attend to it. Are you listening to me? Okay. One of the ways that, um, like I said before, you can establish security is giving assuring words, words of assurance 
remove every source of uncertainty. Don't speak with any tone of uncertainty, please. If you are in a courtship and you know that you are really in a courtship, stop using tones of uncertainty. Well, if we shall, if we marry, shall, if we marry, you know, anything can happen in this life. Anything like what? Stop talking. <laughs> stop talking like that. Stop talking like that. This is the high things. Anything like what? How do you believe this can happen in this life? Let the will of God shall be done. I'm praying that the will of God be done. Bro, if you are not sure of the will of God, maybe you should go and be sure. Sorry. Some of the religious or yeah, religious creatures we employ sometimes breed insecurity, breeds uncertainty. Let's be careful how we talk, how we speak. And then also, please identify publicly with the person. If you are cutting somebody and you don't want to identify publicly with the person, it suggests that there's no rest yet. Especially when you are often loud with other relationships. Are you listening to me? I'm cutting my wife. I have several other ladies around me. Sister Tosin, Sister Yemisi, Sister Fuluke. So that person there. Sister Dimimu. On Monday, I post Dimimu. My sugar doctor. Ah, doctor, don't let me go. Okay. On Tuesday, I post Sister Tosin on Rafin. These are real human beings, so you can research them. I'm not, it's not like big pay at Chukudi. These are real moments. Is that those of you? Ah! My fire branded sister. I love you to the moon and back. No problem. And what is it? I put sister Yemisi. My sister Yemisi. Ah! God bless you for me. Sister like no other. Okay. On Thursday, sister Foluke of Jehovah. The way you love me, nobody else can. On Friday, Sister Esther, oh, I really appreciate you. And on Saturday, I post Jesus. Sunday, I post Holy Ghost. Monday, I start again. Then I say, I'm cutting Sister Damola. You know, balance. You know, balance. Amen. You know, balance. Now, you may say, I will marry her and the people that I'm celebrating, they know that they know they know their place. But you are breeding insecurity for nothing. I'm making the person feel uncomfortable for nothing. Why? Why are you doing that? So let's move on here. How to love your spouse, love your spouse by treating your spouse the way you want to be treated. That's the simple principle of loving your neighbor as yourself. And the first place to apply that is in marriage or in marital courtship or marital relationship. How do you want to be treated? Treat your spouse the way you want to be treated. Let me give a simple example here because of time. Would you want 
in a relationship to be shouted at, to be yelled at, to be screamed at. Oh boy! Nobody got a full talk! Is that how you want to be addressed as the man? Then why are you yelling like that at your woman? Are you following me? Simple. It's not difficult. How do you treat your spouse? Treat your spouse the way you want to be treated. Would you appreciate it if you receive public display of affection? Well, if you would appreciate it, then you should also give public display of affection. Whatever you want to receive, also give. People say things like, gift is my love language, but you only receive it. I don't understand this. How can it be a language that you only receive? You don't, you don't speak it, you only hear it. You know balance. You know, Ojoro, Ojoro love language. Ojoro love language. You want to receive gift? Take your gift. Treat your spouse the way you want to be treated. Love is not a complex thing, amenable. It's just, is it that royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Come as everything. Come as everything. You will not want to be beaten and slapped. You will not want your case to be processed for two weeks before you are forgiven. You will not want your calls to be missed and your chats to be unreplied while you are online or while the other person is online. Then why are you giving that thing? You will not be happy if you are treated like that. Why are you treating the other person like that? You will not want to be asked a question and it will take you five hours to reply because you are forming busy Why are you not treating the other person like that? You don't want to be rude. You don't want people to speak with you in rude speech. In a derogatory manner. Then why are you doing that to the other person? Whatever you want to receive, give. That's how to love your spouse. It's not complex. You don't want to be addressed with any tone of disrespect. Then why are you addressing the person you say you love with a tone of disrespect? Are we clear on that? How to love your spouse? Give priority to their happiness. What makes them happy should be important to you. What makes them happy should be important to you. Some people complain in courtship and many times when complaints happen the other partner does not know how to react if my wife is not happy listen, if my wife is not happy with the way I am dressing if I'm dressing in a shabby way in a way that is not acceptable for a man of my status in society my wife complains about it and I discover she's not happy about it even if I don't care about dressing because it affects her happiness, what should I do? I should make her happiness my priority and begin to align. I say, because my wife is not happy when I'm dressed shabby, I will go and buy clothes. Are, are you following me? That's how to love his spouse. What gets them sad must not be something that you don't, you don't pay attention to. Like, eh, that's their own, that's their own. No, 
If it's a spouse, if it makes them troubled, makes them sad, makes them agitated, makes them angry, you should avoid it. Their happiness should be your priority. Some of the things that our spouses may complain about may be small things, little things. You may consider them trivial matters. But as long as it makes them uncomfortable or affects their happiness, it should be a big deal to you. And I just like to be wearing t-shirts up and down. Below and there. If your woman wants you dressed in a particular way, as a woman, if your man does not like the way you dress and you know it is not making him happy, don't say, ah, what is there? To love your spouse means that you prioritize his happiness. Are you following me? If my wife knows the kind of hairstyle that I like, she knows the kind of makeup I like, and she's now doing the exact opposite, I say, it's not a big deal, Joe. That's not how to love me. She should say, okay, since Peter does not like this kind of makeup, I will love him because I'm his wife. I'm not just any other woman. I'm not his sister. I'm his wife. So I will prioritize what will make him happy. That's how to love. Are, are we clear? I'm running, so I'm just mentioning these points and moving on here. Don't do things that hurt them, offend them, and say you are joking, you are just playing. Some of you do that into Perez, and I pity the young boy. You go and do this to him, then he beats your hand like he doesn't like it. Then you see this. Eh? Why are you being a nuisance? Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm speaking on his behalf because he doesn't know how to explain to me. He doesn't like it, he may be touchy, he may not be in the mood to do that. Ah, ah, auntie, Auntie, what's the problem? He's a bully. He doesn't like it. Let him be. Amen. So you are just, you are just, you are just impressed. You are not sensitive to know that this person I claim to love does not like what I do. You will not be doing it again. And he's making you happy. Are you a demon? It's only a demon that gets joy from somebody's sorrow. You see how the person is not happy. You are doing it. Because here, because here. You know your, your boo. Every time you, you, you miss his call or you don't reply his chat, he gets all agitated and walked up. You do it again. And you'll be laughing in your room. <laughs> oh, mommy, oh, mommy. You need deliverance. You need deliverance, though. You say you are plenty of love. You are trying to earn respect. You are trying to form busy. You have a problem. Are you following me? If it annoys the other person, if it triggers the person, avoid it. Don't be using his pain to play. You come by and say, Daddy, you say, Ah, a poor, a wretched lover, an improperized lover. You know how to love. Once you notice it's getting at them, you stop it. Immediately you stop it. The joke is not working, you stop the joke. Stop it. Don't say, Ah, I'm just playing with you, girl. you play with you, please, Are you listening to me? And this thing applies, well, of course, we're talking about mental relationship. But that, see, be sensitive. Be sensitive. Some people are touchy, some people are just not in, in it. For, and you just be posting your own way and saying they should laugh, they should play. When it's not your time, that's an image, that's an Okay, you two understand now. Okay. I'm there now. Tough love. Stubborn love, they leave. Are we together here? Once you notice it triggers them, makes them unhappy, do everything to say, stop it. 
Don't play with it. It's not something to, if you look at the, if you're a lover of your spouse, you don't you don't derive joy from something your loved one is grieving at. You don't. You don't. If it hurts them, it's a congidi. It's a con Once it can off, once it can grieve and hurt your lover, it's a big deal. What Sarah told Abraham, this woman, I don't want her around me. Abraham must have been killed. What did she do? She was laughing. Everybody laughs now. But I don't want her around me. It's a big deal because I don't want her. I'm your lover. You love me. I'm your wife. It's a big deal. Who is this Martin? No. For me, it's a big deal. Fix it. I'm trivializing. I say, you are just pressing P over what is not. What's the meaning of pressing P? All those Nigerian English. What's the meaning of pressing P? I think it's a taking it personal. Those words are no more in vogue. You generation probably did not meet it. Oh, the way you're looking at me, sir, you didn't meet it. There's a time almost every time you, someone will say, but you take it, you take it personal. The time it was a very popular cliche. Don't trivialize people's pain as though you love them and trivialize their pain. I say, what? That's small thing. They're not making you angry. It's not a small thing. If it hurts me, you should consider it a big deal. Are you following me? That's how to love a, that's how to love a spouse. That's how to love a spouse, please. Consider their happiness your major responsibility. When come every day thinking, how can I make them happy? What can I do to put a smile on their face? That's how to love a spouse. Don't leave their happiness to nature and chance and luck and fate, F-A-T-E. Be deliberate about making them happy. That's all of his spouse. Don't just rejoice when they rejoice. Be the source of their rejoicing. Be the reason they rejoice. It's not the brother, it's not the sister, it's the spouse. Think about something you can write. Okay, you don't have money. Think about something you can write that can put a smile, a smile on that woman's face. Think about something you can do that can put a smile on that man's face. Contribute deliberately to their happiness. Let me move ahead here because of time, please. Spend time with your spouse. How to love your spouse? Spend time with your spouse. Spend time with your spouse. Do things together so that you can maintain consistent communication. Take interest in what interests them. Take interest in what interests them. So that you can do things together. Sometimes my wife just sits beside me. She doesn't do that as much as she used to do because the house is now a little bit not as private as it used to be. Sometimes I mean, when I'm playing game, I'll be jumping up when I score. Say, yeah, I score. Whoa. She doesn't know anything about games. She doesn't like games. But because I have interest in it, she takes interest in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I talking to you? Yes, Can you hear me? Yes, I want to be sure I'm not too fast. Take interest in what they take interest in. Nicholas is a doctor. Anybody that wants to marry Nicholas now, he must, he must, like, he must like medicine, like journalism, like writing. There are many things. If not, the person will find him very boring. Because he's the master of many things. So like Nicholas now, now scholar he must marry. So we know this, I mean, anybody who don't like book now, I don't know if you could cope with Nicholas. <laughs> so they can be writing together. <laughs> my wife takes in my wife is not called to ministry. But she takes interest in ministry because I'm in the ministry. 
Are you listening to me? My wife never ever, never ever had it as a goal, a desire to go to the studio and be singing. She sings well, but she's not something she But when she says her husband is going to the studio to sing, she says, ah, of course, your project is also my project. Do you understand that? You take interest. You take interest. The healing and the, the, the virtue and the unction that flows from her when she sings, many times, it's not even because she personally has a desire to flow in that direction. It's just that she's trying to support my work, support my cause. That's how to love this spouse. She has told me about her dreams for, for charity, for orphanage, and they are still at very elementary stages. We have not started on many of those things. But when those things begin, even though I don't have any dream to be carrying child like this that they born, I'm too good. Can I go good? Now my wife ministry. Yeah, that's how it is. It's how to love his spouse. Marry a minister. I said, now you get called to me. I don't have any interest in it. That's not how to love his spouse. That's not to love his spouse. So, uh, let's move ahead here. There's no time. I was going to mention a few other things. I took down on my phone. How to love a spouse, excellence, conflict, resolution, skills, and decisions. How to love a spouse, forgive, tolerate, better. Don't love a spouse by reading his apology letter and not replying it and giving him to tomorrow before you reply. That's not how to love a spouse. Say spouse, for goodness sake. Me and my wife entered a policy sign in our hearts when we caught him. We do not sleep as long as there is an offense that has not been resolved. And sometimes we enter 2 a.m., 3 a.m. The law will stop, we will not be broken, we don't sleep. You better train yourself to sleep on offenses, to let the sun go down on your wrath. That's not a good foundation for marriage if you encourage him. You will now know that we can be on the same bed and be in two different worlds. You're training yourself to be strangers that are familiar. In culture, discipline yourself. We don't sleep until we settle the issue, no matter the issue. We don't sleep. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., we can just be there, arguing and settle each other. We must settle this matter. We, must we are not going to bed. No! Those were, those were what shaped, those were the values that shaped us. The things we do these days is too dangerous. One week you have not spoken, one week you are keeping married with the person you marry, one week. Do you know what you say? You say, but I love him. Do you love him? Do you know what love is? Do you know what loving a spouse is? The trick, or not the trick, the code is simple. Your love to your spouse is mirrored in the love of Christ to the church. Are you still together? Are we still together? Do you believe that it is normal for Christ to keep malice with the church? Do you believe it's normal for the church to ask Christ for forgiveness and Christ say, give me one week, let me think about it? Do you think it is normal for the church to be calling Jesus and if Jesus say, I'm not going to pick, I'm not going to pick till next month? You think, you, you say, please, you That's how to love your spouse. That's how to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. So, that's it. Any 
anything you are doing coming in that you know that this one cannot happen between Christ and the church, you are wrong. You are wrong. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You may not feel good forgiving your spouse. You may feel cheated. You may feel abused. You may feel, I mean, I'm being taken advantage of. This is why I'm not. But the pattern is the pattern. As Christ loved the church, the pattern is the pattern. Stick it. Why you do that? Your relationship will be solid. The, the, the shallowness and the spinelessness of modern relationships makes me very worried. Seeing, there's no strength. There's no, it's too feeble. You just crack up this kid's relationship. Any small wind, collapse. Because the, because the policy documents that the relationship is starting upon is very weak. It's very weak. It's not solid. In seven years of course, my wife, we went through everything. What are you talking about? Everything. Everything. Every single thing that probably could break our relationship happened to us. We didn't marry because it was easy. But the policy we built our courtship on was too strong. The policy of, the policy of certainty and security. Like, I'm not calling this quits, no matter what happens. Let the dragons of hell show up. We'll fight it together and win. We'll make our mistakes, we'll forgive one another, we'll move on. The policy documents were strong. So irrespective of the wave that came, it was never going to happen. Are you following me tonight? So, your conflict resolution, you will quarrel, you will fight. Yes, but your resolution skills must be top notch. You love your spouse forgiving the way Jesus forgives. Another way you can love your spouse here is to ensure that you take care of yourself, develop yourself, improve on yourself in a way that they will be proud of you. It's probably a point under making them happy or prioritizing their happiness. Nobody wants to marry a spouse that they will be ashamed of. I'm in the ministry. Anywhere I preach the word of God, I want my wife to say, that's my husband. Are you listening to me? People say, the girl say, are you not preacher's wife? You say, uh, huh? are you preacher's wife or you're not preacher's wife? Say, I'm preacher's wife. Because she's not too keen on being proud of me. You see, loving your spouse includes developing your, yourself to a point where your spouse is proud to identify with you. We're talking about publicly identifying with your spouse as an expression of love to also quench the flames of insecurity. But also, work on yourself. Be somebody that they'll be happy to be proud of. Don't be somebody they'll be hiding to identify with. So make it easy for them to identify with you. Make it easy. Make it easy. Uh, let me move ahead here because I want to narrow this to the conversation of marriage. All of those things I've said are majorly in courtship, but it can also apply in marriage. But let me also address this issue of how to love your spouse in marriage. And I want to address it men and women, or husband and wives. The last thing I said was. Um, Make sure you're someone that you, your spouse can be proud of self-development, self-care. Okay. Now, 
Are we still together? Okay. How does a husband love his wife? Now I want to narrow this conversation down to a marital conversation. Three things I want to mention here because this for me is very, very important. There are many other things, but very, very important. Men love your wife by being generous to them, being courteous to them, and being available to them. This is important because I've discovered that in courtship, some men are generous, buy flower, send a charge card, send gifts. But many times in marriages, it stops or it reduces. Say, say, I have given you pocket money. Say, I have given you kitchen money. And they stop. Many husbands have stopped being generous with their wives. You should love your wife as Christ loves the church. And um, Jesus never stops being generous to his church. But let's see that scripture again. Ephesians 5 and verse 24. Are you learning something tonight? Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let your wives be to their husbands and everything. Go ahead, verse 25. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What's the next statement? Next statement is what? So there's a giving that is expected from your husband that should be that should be constant. Giving, giving, giving. Husbands, give to your wife. Give, give yourself, give gifts. Stingy husbands are a plague. They are tools of the devil. A husband must not be stingy. And it's possible to be too familiar with your wife. Because maybe if you are the breadwinner and there are a lot of expenses, household expenses, but you don't personally give to your own wife. So you, as a husband, you must always remember to give to your wife. Your wife may even be richer than you. But you must always know that the way Christ loved the church is he gave, he gave, he gave. You always have to give. Always give to your wife. That's how to love your wife. Then to be courteous. That is, in your speech, in your attitude, in your character, you must be gentle. You must speak in a way that shows that you honor her. And this is also important because one of the temptations of a man, because he's the head of the family, is to be rude to his wife. To be rude to his wife. A husband must discipline himself, train himself to be courteous. So use please to say I'm sorry. There are husbands that cannot say I'm sorry. Always right. Never wrong. Sorry cannot, if sorry comes out as a taboo and abomination, hey, whoa, hey, me. Say sorry. Like, like heaven before. You don't know how to love your wife. Love your wife by being courteous. Say please. Say thank you. Don't just collect food and eat. Nya, 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 nya. Say thank you. Amen. Amen. Not because you drop money for food does not mean you should not say thank you. My wife always says, even when you go to restaurants and the waiter serves you food, say thank you. Even though you are paying for the food, say thank you. Be courteous. So husbands must learn to be courteous with them because a very common temptation is to feel, I'm the ogre. I'm the head. I'm, in, I'm the boss. 
I'm in control. I'm the CEO. I can be rude. It does not matter. I can never be wrong. I'm the authority. No, that's not how to love your spouse. That's not how to love your wife. Husband, be courteous to your wife. And then be available. This is also important because the average man is always working, always busy. You have to create time, as it were, to spend with your wife, even when you are busy. I'm in the ministry, and most of the things I do require time, waiting on God, you know, reading, studying, praying, sometimes traveling. But I've had to be very innovative about spending time with my wife. So that I can be with her and be preparing for the next sermon. In my mind, I'm working, but I'm with her. It's priority, it's important that I spend. It's how to love my wife. I don't like this way, man of God, use the excuse of, she knows I'm a man of God, I don't have a time to maltreat their wife and cheat them of emotional comfort. There are women who don't speak to their husbands days, weeks. And the excuse is a man of God. It's not fair. It's not proper. It's not, it's not accurate. You love, yes, you're a busy man. Yes, you're a man of God. But you're a husband. And you have a responsibility to love your wife by spending time with her. Kenneth Higgins used to travel sometimes miles just to have breakfast with his wife after preaching. That was the policy. If they could not travel together, he must travel back home. Just to spend time with that woman. It's unfair when a woman marries a pastor and she's deprived of all the time. And there are many, let me say this, there are many women who are not vulnerable to adultery because of this like this. Oh yes. Because you marry a woman and you starve out of affection, starve out of attention, starve out of emotions. This was the rumor about the man called Babalola. It's a rumor because I don't know. It can be a lie. My story was that or the fable was that the man was always in the mountain praying. You marry a woman, you now go to the mountain every time. I'm not worthy to speak against the man. Amen. I'm only saying that if the rumor is true, <laughs> and that the wife became very bitter because of that, very angry, hostile woman. Some of the women we call witch. It's not because they are witches, it's that Nobody is pampering them. They left their father and their mother. They now enter pastor's house. Every day, fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer. Uh-uh. Let me go back to my father's house. That's true, now. Okay. You will not allow them to go back to their father's house. They want to now go to their friends. You say, no, you must not go to your friends. You must stay in this house and be entertaining and visitors. Excuse me. What kind of a sentence of, 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 of boredom and, 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 and torment is that? And the excuse is, I married a pastor. That's a man of God to marry a pastor. Some of you say, For my dead body, I can never marry a pastor. And you are correct. The only problem is that after five years, God will call your husband. <laughs> so, you will now send your husband this tape. You will send him this message. Say, Go and hear this amount. If you are a husband, spend time with your wife. Busy man, don't come home and you, you, the next thing is television, Champions League. I just touch your wife's cheeks. I say, baby, how are you? I miss you. You, you came out from work like this. Champions League. Where's my food? Champions League. 
The wife made hey, it's not wussy. You're not blind. Spending time with your wife is a very important expression of loving your spouse. Are we clear on that? Women, how do you love your husband? And this is very crucial. I wish I had time. This is I'm teaching. It should be three hours. Maybe I'll write a book. Because all this 30 minutes I'm doing, they pay you. Now, the dominant instruction for the wife is submit to your husband. But in submitting to the husband, when I say dominant instruction, Ephesians 5 22 again, let's read that. You notice the word used as the dominant demand on the wife is submit, and the one used for the husband is love. It does not mean the wife should not love the husband. It only means that submission is an expression of loving the husband. Are we clear on that? Wife, submit yourself to your own husband. And let's see what it means to submit in... Put other versions. Put the Amplified. Let's see. Because people often wonder what it means to submit. And then, I need to really thoroughly explain. Wife, be subject, be submissive. Look at the next statement. Adapt yourself. That's a, a word many people have not really come to terms with. Adapt yourself. And what does it mean to adapt to your husband? My wife left Lagos down to Ogumosho because she married me. She's adapting to me. Are you following me? My wife is involved in some of the ministry activities of our local church because she's adapted to me. That's her submission to me. That's her loving me. A woman must learn how to love her husband. Fundamentally, it is by submitting to him. But submitting means to adapt yourself to him. Certain things your husband does not like. Adapting means that you say, okay, he does not like it. So, my wife knows I don't like onions. Thank God, or thankfully, she does not like onions. But let's assume she likes onions. And I don't like onions. She adapts by saying, look, my husband does not like onions. So, remove the onions. Because he does not like onions. That's how to love me. She's not going to love me by saying, onions is good for your body. My brother, oh yeah. That's not to love me. <laughs> That's not to love me. No, 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 no. Submitting means to adapt under. Are, are you following that now? Adapt under. If for any reason, I am no longer in Rema Chapel, and I am in Winner's Chapel, Adapting on that means that my wife now says, we are moving our relationship from Reverend to Adekwa to Bishop David Oedekwa. She may not like Oedekwa before, but to adapt to me means that. Do you follow? Yeah. That's how to love me. To say, I love you, but I'm a Reverend for life. Pastor Chris, no, my father. I'm a so-so for life. No, that's not love. You love, you adapt. A few other things here. I'm already out of time. You love your husband, your husband by allowing him to lead. Let your husband lead. That's how you love him. Let your husband lead. To show your husband love, let him lead. Lead the family. Lead the marriage. Lead the union. How do you let him lead? For instance, simple things like trusting his judgment. Asking his opinion about certain matters. My wife 
Listen to me. All these, all these things that people do now. On Saturday is election. I'm voting for Peter Obi. I have now voted for Artiku. I don't know what marriage is. Oh my. You don't know what marriage is. So yeah, everybody has his own vote. The two shall become one. You don't know what marriage is. I mean, I mean, my wife, but I attend this church. I attend the other church. You don't know what marriage is. You let him lead. You decide the church will attend. You too. Why do you go and marry a woman if you know that you cannot trust him with leadership? Why did you marry a man you cannot trust? I told you last week, woman. Don't marry a man you cannot trust him with leadership. Don't marry a man you cannot trust him with leadership. I was going to say, this is church. This is church. We are going to be attending. You say, no, ah, no, ah. That's not how to love him. Let him lead. Trust his judgments. Ask his opinion. One of the ways my wife shows me love is by asking my opinion about certain things. What do you have to say about this matter? I don't want to know your view about it. She's saying, I respect your opinion. I value your opinion. She may have already an idea of what is right, but she will still ask, what's your opinion? That's how she loves me. She makes me feel comfortable leading. She gives me the impression that I am a worthy, trustworthy man. I feel loved when she asks me questions. Are you following me? Your ladies, wives, your husband will not feel loved when you don't ask him questions. Yeah, sometimes even the question is a silly question. Stay asking. What should I eat today? Rice or beans? Ask him. That's what I love him. Yeah. Sometimes you feel you are disturbing him. And yes, sometimes you can disturb him. And I was going to talk about that. But it's also part of love expressions. Making him feel like he's the boss. He's the boss. If you say I should eat rice, I will eat it. Koda, my dear rice. Because you say I should eat it. That's because I am trying to love you. What else here? What else here? What else here? Defer to his preference. Make sacrifice towards his productivity and towards his confidence. That's the last thing here. Let me explain it. Sometimes in making sacrifices towards your husband's productivity, you would need to stop disturbing him. Amen. I miss him. Okay. What is at work? And that could they concentrate? Because if they sack him, because they That's how, loving your husband includes allowing him to be the best version of himself. If it means that sometimes you have to go and pray three hours, he cannot talk to you. Let him pray. And that's his prayer. You now come and cut walk inside pant and bra. As a wife. I'm just kissing you. Oh! What kind of a greeting is this? What I'm trying to pray. <laughs> Are you following me here? Yeah. Make him be the best person of himself. If he's studying, sometimes leave him alone. You two go and do some things with your life. Yeah, it's not about to be sitting down together. We're touching your bed. It's a better. Sometimes the best way to love him is to leave him alone. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. <laughs> I've taught husbands to spend time with their wives, but there's a balance to it. Are you following me? Imagine God told Adam to go and name the animals. Now you say, honey, come, come. I want to go. God said I should go and name the animals. Honey, come, now, come. This Eve, people I say, you know, no, say, if I don't name animals, I don't become useless man in this garden. Sometimes leave, leave the man alone. Let him, let him, leave him. 
help him to be productive, help him to be confident. One way you can help him to be confident, please avoid excessive correction to your husband. If I marry a wife who is always trying to correct me, and the first thing after the preaching, say, hey, PJ, come first. That scripture that she quoted, Kuwondeu. <laughs> Uh, minority will reduce with that kind of a wife. Stop trying to correct your husband. Now, I'm not saying you should not correct your husband at all, but it must not become it must not become an excessive attitude. You now become his lord. <laughs> no. You to be it will be it will be sacrificial to overlook some things like that. It's just one of those things he's working on. It will get better. I pray about it. I'll pray for him. Even if I talk to him, I will say it with, ah, I might be no, but why don't you do it? I know that I will say, ah, confess, this thing that you did, that's not how wives talk. Are you listening to me? Learn this thing, no. Learn this. That's not how wives talk. With a tone of superiority, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. It's been a long day. Thank you for your time. Let's give our offerings. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.